the reframe is like we're going from like a grinding mentality to like a calm, persistence. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, the antidote to conventional financial wisdom. My name is Al, and I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. This podcast will explore the emotional and psychological factors that affect our behaviors. All of the other financial podcasts out there will talk about the numbers and the math. We will confront the stories that we all fuse with that ultimately set the course for our lives. I am not looking for new clients and have no intention on running for any kind of office. I'm going to tell you like it is and call out all the commonplace BS. Now, let's get into confessions of a financial advisor. All right, Virginia, we are talking about questioning our assumptions. All right. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? <laughs> doing well. So questioning our assumptions, what we assume about other people, what we assume about what's going on in the media and the political environments, mm-hmm. about ourselves, lots of things that we assume. The one thing I was thinking about with assumptions, um, I actually read this. Questioning our assumptions is the basis for all innovation. I like that. So the idea that you can't have any kind of innovation without questioning the status quo, just things that you assume, no, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. What do you mean it's not the way it is? No, no. I've heard that my whole life. That's what everybody's told me. That's what everybody else believes. Right. So that's what I believe. And I'm not going to go against that. Right. And then you have people like, wait a second, that's not... Or let me just at least question that. And so one of the techniques that I was reading about as far as questioning assumptions was try to validate the opposite of your assumption. Mm. Make it an exercise to validate the opposite. Okay. I was like, that's kind of interesting. So think of what you're assuming and then what's the complete opposite of that thought and then try to find proof for that? Yeah. Okay. So with Trump, right? So Trump's a good one. Right. Because everybody believes something strong, you know, either... Very polarizing topic. (laughs) Yeah, either you're with them or against them, right? Right. (laughs) Mostly against. (laughs) But I was kind of telling you, and this isn't a popular idea, and nobody's going to like that I'm saying this, but what if over the last four years, instead of everybody being at each other's throats regarding Trump and trying to get him out of office and saying how bad he is, he's a narcissist and he's a chauvinist and he's just the worst person in the whole world. Right. What if everybody was like on his side? Like, okay, you got elected. Let's just like stand behind you for four years and just play it like that. From what I've read, that's kind of what the United States used to be like. It used to be that if your party's candidate didn't win, Mm-hmm. you'd be like, all right, we, we're backing you now. You know, we're like, we're backing you because we didn't want you in the first place. But now that you're in, we're all in this together and we want this to be good for everybody. So we're going to help you. Right. We're going to make the best of it. Make the best of it. Support you. Yes. You know, even though we don't agree with you, we're going to support you. But there's none of that. There's Right. I mean, it, it couldn't be any more opposite than that. No. And kind of what you brought up was like, what good has that done? Has he been impeached? No. Has any policies changed? No. Have any of the people who were fired been reinstated? No. Like, what good does that polarizing opinions and hatred and all this 
drama yeah. do for our country. It's done nothing but divide us more. Right. I mean, I don't see any good. Mm-mm. I've heard about how bad he is for the last four years. Right. I really haven't heard anything good about him. Right. You know, nobody's really gave him any kind of praise in any way. Again, the assumption is he's the worst. He's terrible. He basically yeah. is destroying our country and like we're a, a laughing stock to the rest of the world. That's the big one that I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. That just, you know, he's not a good representative of our country. Right. And I agree with that. It's not that I'm not saying I don't agree with it. I'm just saying, why not question what we're assuming? Right. He has a family. He's a person. He probably loves his kids. <laughs> you know, I know there's weird stuff. But <laughs> like the- <laughs> I said, he, he probably loves his kids. <laughs> I mean, barring being a complete delusional psychopath, which some people think he is. Right. Well, it's more of like a narcissist, egomaniac, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Like just a, right, a blowhard, right? Right. But I mean, I have to think like in his core, like he's trying to do well. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. We want to think that, right? We want to think that. I, But I just as a person assume that about most people. I mean. Yeah. I think, you know, he grew up in an environment that has created the person that he is today. Yep. Haven't we all? Yeah. And so not that I don't give him responsibility for his actions, but you got to kind of come from an understanding standpoint of like, where did he come from? How did he become this person? Hmm. If we're really want things to be better, is it making things better to just be combative and against him? And Hmm. I don't know, maybe, maybe the opposite Right. Would help. You know, but what if like the Democratic Party this whole time was like, you know what? We don't agree with what you're saying, but we're going to back you. And that was kind of like their mantra for the last four years. Right. You made it. You're in office. Let's support you and back you. Yeah. We're not going to agree with your policies if we don't agree with them. We're not going to just like blow smoke. Right. But we're going to support you in any way we can that we feel good about with our conscience. Yeah. Like during the time that you're in office, you get to have your support. Yeah, and if that was the case, I think if that happened over the last four years, there's no way the Democrats wouldn't be voted into office this time around. Right. Because everybody, they wouldn't be against them. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be a, such a polarizing, like you said, like combative topic. Yeah, they could then just look at the factual data for what it is. Like, mm-hmm. well, what's the report card on how he did, barring all the emotional polarizing crap that's been right. creating these weird narratives? So that's what validating the opposite assumption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's all these bad things. What if he's deep down a decent person that just has a lot of bad characteristics? Right. What he if? is in office, but yeah. So <laughs> getting past Trump. Hmm. I mean, that's something to think about. And I think that it's like a lot of stuff we talk about. It's a great thought. It's a great perspective. It's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have an assumption about anything, you know, the president, your own life, your husband, your wife, your, you know, your kid, your kid's teacher, like anything, yeah. any assumption that you have, it's really, really hard to find that opposite opinion and try to validate that yeah, and try to question your belief. We talk about this all the time, your beliefs and the stories that you tell yourself. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to change those. And we started to talk about, like, can you change those? I've also heard that the first story you hear about any type of subject, 
highly influences how you're going to feel about that subject going forward. So, mm. so the first thing you ever heard about Trump might have been the thing that kind of set you on that trajectory of, I don't like Trump. Oh, okay. Not that all the things that he's done added up aren't terrible. Right. I'm not defending the guy. I'm, b- I'm basically just trying to say that we're so impressionable. Mm-hmm. And once we hear a handful of things, we're on the bandwagon. We're like, this is the way he is. This is the way it is. And you're not ever pivoting and looking the opposite direction. Well, and it's highly likely that the four years that we've recently experienced aren't truly what's formed our opinion about him. Right. You know, there's tons of people where their opinion about him is based 100% on the show, The Apprentice. Oh, yeah. And, And, (laughs) you know, it could be stuff even before that. Well, it's absolutely before that because I grew up in Long Island. He used to own a lot of the casinos in Atlantic City. Mm Mm-hmm. But we used to go to like Atlantic City like once, twice a year right. and go gambling. And uh, we'd go to the Taj Mahal, which was like his hotel. It was like the Trump Towers. Like he was just like the golden arch kind of guy. Like he was almost like a cartoon character. You know, he was on WWF wrestling where he'd be like been in the ring with right. some of the wrestlers. He was just kind of like this weird kind of ostentatious character with like this golden locks and you know, weird, like, and then that led into like much later into The Apprentice. Right. But you know, you're fired. That caught on. And so, yeah, exactly. (laughs) How many opinions, the whole country had an opinion about this guy before they even knew who he was or they knew the real person. Right. Before he even considered running, you know, like way back. Yeah. And that kind of goes along the same lines as we're all marketed to and, you know, faced with advertising since before we can even remember what those advertisements were or what was being sold to us. Your kid, you're watching Mickey Mouse Club. There's commercials. You're being advertised to. You're receiving impressions. Yeah. And you can't even remember what those impressions are, but they are what shapes who you've become today. Whether you like it or not. Right. 99% of it you're not aware of. Like, it's just happening and... Exactly. Like society shapes us and helps us form our opinions. I think you said this. Our opinions aren't our own. Yeah. They are derived from society and advertising and marketing and... Yeah, and religion. I mean, think about like... Yeah. Just for the fact that we were born where we were born, that's how we believe the things that we believe. It's just the way it works. If we were born in Iraq, we would believe different things than we believe. Right. We could be the same exact person born in different parts of the world and have completely different viewpoints and ideologies. And Well, and even just from state to state, you know, New York to Texas, I mean, just because yes. of where we were born and the prevalent religions in the area, the prevalent point of views in the area, that formed yeah. our beliefs. I mean, if I was born in New York, I might be a completely different person than I am today. So totally, it's amazing. Absolutely. And we were kind of also talking about just how assumptions are necessary. They're part of human nature. It's basically that they're mental shortcuts. Like you need to have them. Mm. You can't have ultimate critical thinking about every issue in your life. You have to just move. It's just the way your mind's kind of moving around from thought to thought. Right. You're making assumptions all day long. Well, and your brain would be super inefficient if it had to 
dive and digest all kinds of data to make any decision. Right. That's why Be paralyzed. you made an assumption at some point in your life and you carry that assumption forward and you make other decisions based on that assumption. Yes. So when we talk about like questioning our assumptions, it's more of the big assumptions. Mm-hmm. The things that are really affecting your life. It's not the day-to-day toggling. Right. It's more of, again, our presidents, climate change. Right. I always mention, you know, shark attacks. You know, how <laughs> yeah. that's like, you know, you see a couple of videos on TV that there was a shark attack. And next thing you know, you're thinking that the whole ocean's infested with man-eating, you know, killer sharks that as soon as you dip your toe in, they're chomping at your foot. Right. That's not the way it works. And that's enough to make you cancel your vacation, share it on right. Facebook, make sure all your <laughs> friends cancel their vacations. I mean, it could it could really blow it's, up. It can. Yeah. It can. And we're living through it. So we're living through a time where, again, I don't want to stay on the political path, but the whole idea that mm-hmm. defund the police... There's like riots going on. They're saying like police brutality. Yeah, there's just a lot of conflict going on right now. Yeah. And so what about, let's throw out like a statistic. Let's say like 95% of police are good people that want to help the world, that want to basically make their society a better place, want to make it a safer place. Right, because why else would you become a police officer? Yeah. I mean, I don't know of anybody that would just naturally want to subject themselves to danger every single day. That's right. (laughs) And there's such a funny, it's a short clip by Chris Rock. It's back in the day. Mm -hmm. It's called Bad Apples. Okay. It's kind of like in this context. This is many years ago when he did it, but it's very timely. He says, you know, when we talk about bad police or police brutality toward the general public, we say that those cops are, they're just a few bad apples. Right. And he's like, what other industry could you like say that? Like, you don't want to say there's bad apples in like the airline industry when you're a pilot, right? <laughs> it's like, don't worry, you know, five planes went down yesterday. Those are just a few bad apples. Right. It's like, very, <laughs> it's like you say, like, you can't have a job like police where you have bad apples. Mm, mm-hmm. But it creates this narrative now that like every police officer needs to be perfect. Right. You know, you're not considering the predicament that they're put in on a daily basis. Mm the stress that they're mm-hmm. under. And again, I'm not saying there's not bad people and bad co- or bad police officers and people that are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. But the narrative becomes the whole police department are corrupt. Right, all of them. Yeah, or even, even most of them. Right. Or even some of them. It's not even really, it's a small percentage. Well, and there again, you have to consider what they face every day. And like we said, you know, our experiences shape who we are today. And our experiences today are going to shape who we are tomorrow. And it goes on and on and on. So everything that they've experienced shapes how they show up to work today. You got to consider some of the stuff that they've been through. Yes. I mean, when they talk about PTSD, they talk about mostly like soldiers, right? People that are in war. Yes. There's PTSD in all different aspects of life. All of it. Especially with cops. Mm-hmm. They're constantly at a high alert. You know, their internal anxiety right. is probably hovering at like a six or a seven on a scale of one to 10 right. when you really should be hovering around like a two or a three. Right. They're, they're idling real high, right? Exactly. You know, for, for most people, they idle low and then something stressful happens. It jacks up and it comes back down. Mm-hmm. Cops have a high level of anxiety, especially if they're cops that are in the business of pulling people over. They're constantly 
you know, going on calls for whatever reason, for domestic violence. It's going to be, you know, if you're an inner city versus a suburb yes. or it could be crime rates in your area or could be anything, you know, and then the race thing comes into play. Like what if you're a black cop in a primarily white community or a white cop in mm-hmm. a primarily black community? Like how are you going to be perceived? And yes. there's just so many assumptions going around from all sides. Yes. And so like what if all sides could just question those assumptions and yeah stop and say hey like would i give this guy a little more grace if we had the same color skin if you know i lived in the inner city versus the suburbs if whatever and questioning that. Yeah, and I feel like the sad part with all of this is that when did we forget that like a collaborative effort works better than a combative? Mm. When you're just headbutting, mm-hmm. you know, which we're doing in so many different ways, nothing gets better. Like it gets worse. Right. And then we can watch it get worse. For whatever reason, we think fighting is gonna like help things. It doesn't. It's like you need to have discussions, you have open dialogue, you need to have. Right. The idea of questioning assumptions, having some critical thinking, looking at it from like your opponent's side, try to figure out what's going on that you're not seeing. What's your blind spot? Mm-hmm. So, right. Well, and when things are combative, what are the chances that the other side is going to be open to your opinion when you've been so nasty the whole time? Exactly. They're not going to be, they're going to be closed. They're not going to listen to you. But if you've been open and you've been modeling that behavior almost, that's where the open discussions and the possibility that someone might try to view things from your perspective might happen. That's the only way. Yeah. That's the, I think the human tendency is like when somebody's combative toward you, you dig your heels in, right? So oh, you, yeah. you become defensive, you're like putting your guard up, the walls mm-hmm. go up. You know, there's no room for dialogue at that point. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that I was saying about challenging assumptions, it keeps our biases from limiting our solutions. Hmm. So I'll say it again. Challenging assumptions, it keeps our biases from limiting our solutions. Because hmm. if you're biased, then you're closed-minded about whatever is around that subject. So you're not able to see a solution that's outside the box. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, again, we always go back to awareness as being aware of what you're thinking about, how how you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And where that thought came from. Where the thought came from. And then, again, if you kind of, what if you just made it a practice to just look at, look at it from the other side? Mm. It's hard to do. Like you said, it's very hard to do. Well, and I think it's hard to notice even when you are making some of those assumptions. Yeah. You're probably just living your life and not realizing that you are creating behaviors and habits based on assumptions that you've carried with you already, like every day. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to notice. Yeah. I think maybe you would notice when you had an argument with someone like, okay, well, why is this my side? Why do I feel this way? Am I wrong? Am I right? Let me do some research. And you might start to dig into it. Yeah. But day-to-day life, it's really hard to notice what assumptions you actually have already. Yeah. Especially recently, I have two teacher friends and I think they both listen. I know one of them at least listens to this podcast. And I've been in dialogue with them about the way 
society as of late has been portraying teachers. Mm. So there's a thing going on in the country and a lot of parts of the country where right. the general public are like, teachers, hey, you got to go back to work. You got to go back to school because my kids need somewhere to go. I can't have my kids at home. And we're sick of hearing that you're worried about you know, the health of your family and whatever. You need to go back to school. We can't do this virtual learning forever. We're struggling here at home with our kids. Right. Like, I'm not a teacher. I'm struggling teaching my kids, so I need teachers to get back to. Right. It's almost taking yeah. the posture that you teachers are just like sucking this up and being lazy mm. and you're taking advantage of the system. And now that you've been working from home, obviously you don't want to go back in because you don't want to like work hard. Mm. You want to just do this virtual thing. And I started to believe that assumption a little bit. Wow. I was like, yeah. yeah, you know what? My kids are home too. And they're getting paid full salary to sit at home and do their virtual thing. Then, you know, one of my friends, actually both of them, started reading what they were kind of writing about. And one in particular told me about his first day. Yeah. He had like 56 kids that were in this room virtually. And then they had another nine through Google something or other. And then it was so like fragmented. It was like four different right. rooms and like half the rooms, like the virtual thing wasn't even working. And then one of them, like the audio wasn't going through. So the computer was spitting out what he, they thought he was saying, which oh, wasn't, no. it was just a, a complete train wreck, right? First right. day of school. Right. Oh, and the kids are frustrated and he's exactly. frustrated and the parents on the other end are frustrated and they're right. like, what's this teacher doing? <laughs> but that's when it really clicked into me. Not that I I wasn't really going down so much that rabbit hole of like, teachers, you got to go back to work. You're milking the system. Mm -hmm. But once he showed me that, I'm like, no, he, they want to go back to work. Believe me, they don't want to be doing this crap. Like, this is like worse. Yes. That's a tough thing to do. Yeah. Teachers didn't become teachers because they want to deal with technology every day. Yeah. Like, that wasn't the goal. <laughs> they don't want to be on video. They don't want to be having to interact and try to establish a connection virtually like that yeah. that was never in anyone's imagination when they decided they were going to be a teacher so much of it's about the connection with the kids and how are you having connection with 56 kids over a zoom call yes. where everybody's distracted you know like things aren't even working right well and then on the parent side of things you know they're trying to limit distractions for their own kids. And, you know, kids, some kids, like little, like elementary school, they don't even know how to use the computer. Yeah. And so the parent is like trying to teach them how to use the computer and learn math. Yeah. Uh, like that's, so I understand the parents kind of. Frustration. Frustration. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. But I don't agree with like what you were saying, how you know, oh, the teachers are just milking it and they just want to stay home and they don't want to go back to work. Like, I definitely have the opposite yes. opinion is that they would much rather be in the classroom, face-to-face -face with those kids, yep. able to understand what the kid is asking, right? not worrying about audio and apps and grading online papers. Yeah. It just seems insane right now. I feel bad for everybody involved. Yeah, I find myself making, I made that assumption. I found myself leaning toward just what the, the masses were saying. Mm. Most parents were saying, we got to get these kids back to school. These teachers got to get back to work. And then once I heard the teacher side, I was like, yeah. all right, got it. I see what's going on. Everybody's frustrated. <laughs> like, there's no <laughs> real right answer to this. And everybody's kind of frustrated. Right. 
Well, and the teachers didn't have training on some of this stuff, and they were just thrown like, okay, here's Zoom, figure it out for your kids. Like, what? They don't even know how to use it. And so they've had to figure out a lot really quickly. So yeah, I've been trying to give everybody grace on both sides of that equation. Agreed, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I found a quote also from a lady named Linda Elder. I don't know if it's like one of your long lost aunts or something. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> but it was a cool quote. I'll say it slow because it's kind of like one of those ones that's hard to interpret unless you hear it a couple of times. Many unexamined lives together result in an uncritical, unjust, dangerous world. So yeah, like many unexamined lives together result in an uncritical, unjust, dangerous world. So I always think of like, of course, these protests. Mm. I'm not saying they're all unexamined lives, but I I would assume that a lot of them are. Mm -hmm. They're not really, you know, a lot of people don't know the issue at hand. Yeah. They've heard a couple of TV quotes and they're like, that's it. I believe in that. I'm going to go to that protest. And right. not saying everybody's like that. I always got to like preface. This isn't like a generalization. Right. But when you have a lot of people that aren't examining what they're doing and you put them all together and now they're all feeding off each other, it results in an uncritical, unjust, dangerous world. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we're living in a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's like this ignorant certainty. Like the, it's... They're so certain about something they're ignorant about. Mm. That makes no sense. I've never thought about it that way. That's so good. An ignorant certainty. Huh. Yeah. I. All right. I'm not going to do the religion thing, but yeah. Ignorant certainty. <laughs> it's so certain, right? Right. Like, uh, like, what are you so certain about? Like, I try to think of what am I so certain about? I can't think of really much. I mean, and I'm not talking about like values. I'm not talking about like feelings, emotions, the way your virtues. Right. That's one thing. But like certainty about people, about political structures, about. Yeah. When someone claims to be, you know, quoting or citing cold, hard facts. Mm -hmm. But but where is the citation? Like there typically isn't one. It's like, oh, I don't know where I heard that. Or, oh, I don't know. Oh, I saw it on a meme. Yeah, Instagram. Or some, you know, it's some way that we've absorbed information, but it's not a valid truth that we should continue to walk around sharing because there was no clear citation. Like we don't even know where that came from, but we believe it. Right. It's those cognitive biases, they call it. Like, it's like uh, you're just jumping to a conclusion. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you ever see that movie Office Space? Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. When there's that guy (laughs) that creates the game called Jumping to Conclusions. So so stupid. (laughs) So dumb. (laughs) So dumb. But but it's Anyway, it was funny. And then the last thing I I want to mention was, and we, we kind of talked a little bit about this before, was called the framing effects, like mm. the way your mind frames something. So you can have the same facts framed in two different ways and have two different conclusions that you come to, right? Right. So for instance, we were talking about, you go to the supermarket, you pick up the salad dressing and one says 90% fat free and the other one says 10% fat. Right. Which one are you going to buy? Which one are you picking? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. 90% fat-free sounds pretty good. Right. I don't want the 10% fat. I mean, Yeah. Who wants 10% fat? Nobody. Yeah. I want 90% fat-free. Right. Same numbers. 
It's ridiculous. <laughs> right. All right. So, and then, and then you're starting to choose colleges, right? You want to go to college. Mm-hmm. And so you pick a college and the one college says, we have a 70% graduation rate. Like, all right, that sounds great. And the other one's like, well, we have a 30% dropout rate. Like, which one do you choose? Right. No, I want the, I want, <laughs> I want the 30% dropout rate. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but yeah, it's like, it but, is. It's the same numbers, just flipped. Yeah. The same information, just presented in a different light, you know, fat-free or, or passing rate versus with fat or a failure rate. Yeah. It's all, like, creative marketing and... It's not twisted language, but it, it's a flip. It's like positive framing as opposed to like negative framing, you know? Like yeah. A, and we're all so susceptible to that. We see it every day. We just don't notice. Yes. Well, I think they're playing off of those assumptions that are mental shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Like you're hearing a quick blip and you're like, that one's better, that one's worse. Okay, I've picked that one. Right. So you're just picking the one that your mind was just like immediately saying, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to like think about this stuff mm-hmm. because it's happening all the time. And it's kind of fun to see like what your mind does. Like I mentioned the whole teacher thing. Like I was thinking back on it. I'm like, it's very easy to fall down those rabbit holes and start to believe. Right. Because again, if three people say something that sounds convincing, then you kind of start believing it's true, right? I yeah. mean, so three people said it. They sounded pretty convincing. Especially if like two of your teacher friends, you know, people that you respect and care for, Mm -hmm. and they're telling you something. I mean, why would you not believe your friends? Right. You would take someone you trust's opinion and run with it, right? Like, why would you not? That's right. Yeah. It's all about what we're exposed to. And there again, the stories and our beliefs and where they come from, it kind of loops back around to that. Yeah. And they're like, why do I believe this? Like, why do I believe what mm-hmm. I believe it because three people said it? I talked about it with the stock market. You hear that all the time. You watch CNBC and you could hear two completely opposite interpretations. Like, just say they're talking about Apple stock and one's like, oh, it's got room to run. It's going to do great. We see it doubling in the next year. And the other one's like, oh, it's past its prime. They're not selling enough iPhones. Two completely like just one say it, says it's going up double, the other one's dropping in half. Right. Which one do you believe? They're both convincing. You know, if you just listen to one, you'd be like, that makes sense. Well, and you don't think about, hey, that guy's job is to be convincing to you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> his script was written to convince you. <laughs> to convince you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just that you could listen to something on an opposing channel that'll say the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard. it's hard to differentiate what's what's what and what's right and what's correct. And there again, maybe you listen to one first and then the other. And so mm-hmm. you're like what you mentioned earlier, you're more likely to go toward the opinion that you heard first, regardless Ooh. of if you heard the second opinion or so not. So true, right? The first opinion. Yeah, right. The first thing you hear. Yeah. Well, and I had shared with you that the past several years, I'd been questioning my own personal assumptions around hard work equaling success. You know, you got to put in 80 hours of a week and you got to yeah. suffer. And there's all of this kind of negativity around how it feels to do the work to equal success. And so then I've been questioning, okay, what does success truly look like for me? Right. What 
does the work have to truly look like? Like how many hours are really necessary to move your business forward? Yeah. That thought work has been very necessary to being able to move forward at all in some cases. And then I brought up to you also the assumption from when we're young that you have to go to college. Mm. Well, nobody needs a degree to do what I do now. Truthfully, even when I worked corporate, there were people that worked there that didn't have degrees. And sure, my degree helped me get the job and I had a higher position and things like that. But what's to say that I couldn't have spent those four years at an entry level Mm. and worked up and had my same position at the same time that I did without spending money on a degree? So there's all these assumptions around what our path is and what's worth it and if you should right. go to college or if you shouldn't and so true how many hours you should be working to become successful and what it takes to build a business and i've had to really do a lot of thought work around that so that has been a lot of questioning my assumptions right there yeah yeah the whole no pain no gain i mean that's like yes that's like everything in our culture is about that the western philosophy of the nike slogan just do it move mm. go faster you know yeah so in olympic wrestling the russians are noted to be the winningest country in history right they've had the most Olympic gold medalists in, in wrestling. Right. And I saw a special on the difference between the way they train as opposed to the way other countries train, or especially like the United States trains. So the United States, and this goes with soccer, this goes with a lot of different sports, but the U.S. has this just do it, push harder, 80-hour work weeks, just bang out your body. You're going to have the best endurance, huh. the most strength, you're trying to always max out. Right. Ooh. Just do the heaviest lifts, do the hardest sprints, two, three times a day work sessions. Just everything's about hard, hard training. Where the Russians don't do that. Mm-hmm. The Russians do everything slow and methodical. Very rarely do they push past like an 80% threshold from like an output standpoint. Everything is just slow, controlled, mm. almost like playing. Like nothing's like very strenuous and straining. They'll do a little bit of that right before a competition, Hmm. but all of their training for the most part is not doing that. Interesting. Now, I've also heard the same thing in respect to just physical fitness. So everybody thinks that you need to work out with weights till failure. Hmm. I was listening to this very, very educated trainer. He's actually a trainer for mixed martial arts. His name's Farah Sahabi. Hmm. He's just talking about pull-ups. He's like, most people go to the gym, they go to do pull-ups, If they can do 10 pull-ups, they try to get 10, and maybe they'll try to squeak out like 11, hard as they can, right? Right. He's like, what they really should be doing is they should do five pull-ups, and then go back the next day and do another five, and then maybe the next day do six. Uh. Always be way under what you can possibly do, Uh. because the guy that did the 11 is going to come back, be sore the next day, he blew himself out, he's not building. Right. So I think of all this in the same context that what you're talking about with success, where we think we got to put those 80-hour weeks. No, what if we put in just a 30-hour week? Right. But, you know, we concentrated, we relaxed, and we got things done, we were organized. Right. It wasn't this stressful thing of, like, grinding. Yeah. The reframe is, like, we're going from, like, a grinding mentality to, like, a calm, persistence, Mm -hmm. you know, just a slow, methodical. Right. And that's where I ran into this for myself was because... Being an entrepreneur and having your own business and being home with your kids and all that, that was like this vision for me. 
And then I found myself in it, but I was stressed. And I was like, hold on, like this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't why I made this transition. I made this transition so that I could be present with my kids and relaxed and happy mm-hmm. and go for walks every day. And, you know, like all the stuff that you wish for, but that wasn't yeah. happening. And so I really had to dig in and question those assumptions. And that's exactly why. It was because Western culture, Western point of view that in order to get to success, you have to put in, you know, insane hours. It has to be hard. It has to be challenging. And, you know, it was like, no, okay, like what of these 80 hours are you actually doing activities that are moving your business forward versus being on social media? Yeah, Hone in, trim it down. What's really required to be successful? Or just sitting at your desk like a cow in the rain, you know, <laughs> just like just sitting there and just killing time because I got to put the 80 hours in. Just overwhelmed. You're not really productive. <laughs> yeah, just suffering. You're just torturing yourself right. because you got to put those 80 hours in. It's so ingrained in us. It's going to be something I think we're going to spend the rest of our lives mm-hmm. becoming aware of. Like you like you do it, like you, and you pull back a little bit. Yes. I'm doing this job. I'm working for myself to have a lifestyle that's so I could spend more time with my family. I could go for walks. I could take a nap. I could do things that I enjoy in my life, right? Yes. But there's that creep in the back of your mind that like you're not doing enough. Don't take your foot off the gas pedal. Oh, you should be doing such and such. You should be over here. It's all going to be taken away from you if you don't work harder. Right. It's scary. It's almost like this fear in the back of your mind that's it's like the angel and the devil on your shoulder, right? Exactly. The angel's like, enjoy your life. Oh no, the devil would be saying. <laughs> yeah, that. The de- yeah, the devil, enjoy your life. Devil saying enjoy the your angel's life. Angels like work hard. No, I don't know which way it would be because. Yeah, I don't know which way it would be either. Mm, that's interesting. <laughs> and I think there was we talked about you should. Ooh. That's kind of a a bad word if you want to. Yeah. So like assumptions about ourselves, right? Yeah, what you should be doing, and I was sharing that you know anytime you're saying like I should be doing this other thing. It's like a pathway toward guilt because you're immediately feeling like you're not doing enough, you're not doing the right thing, you're not spending the right amount of time doing something. Yeah, I should or I must. I have to. Yeah, I really have to do this. Yes. You know, some people like to switch those words like to say I have to to like I get to, Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to. Right. I mean, it seems silly, but it's so true, right? I mean, if I have to do something, it's like, this blows, you know? Like, right. <laughs> it becomes this dread. Yeah, like I have to go pick up my kids. Like a yeah. lot of people say that. But it's just an automatic response. Or I get to go pick up my kids. Right. And I'll tell you, when I was working corporate, I wished I could get to pick up my kids. Yes. Because they were going to daycare and I felt guilt over it. Yeah. And it was just this crazy thing. And so now I'm home, so I better not be saying that. <laughs> I think it, it, this all, uh, I feel like all these podcast episodes circle around the same kind of fear, insecurity kind of thing. So like all of those mm-hmm. things in the back of your mind that are telling you to do the 80 hours a week to push harder, don't relax. It's stemming from fear. It's fear that you're insecure, you're going to run out of money because you're not working hard enough and your business will be taken away from right. you. None of them are in any kind of reality. That's, again, these like Mm -mm. deep-rooted assumptions that everybody's kind of told us our whole life. It's in all advertising, right? Yes. Like I said, the Nike just do it, push harder, work harder, no pain, no gain. It's just a a never-ending. And then you hear about it like on the TED Talks, on any kind of motivational speaking. Everything's like this. 
explosive kind of like more, better, wake up at 4.30 a.m. and Yes. Oh, my God. If you're not growing, you're failing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What, you know, the Tony Robbins episode from way back. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not growing, you're dying. Right. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. If you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah. There's no in-between. I'm like, Mm. what do you mean there's no Mm in-between? So, wait, the Buddhist monk is... Where is he growing at? Like, is he building some giant multi-million dollar business? No, Tony, he's not. Yeah, and he's super happy. <laughs> super happy, more so than probably, yeah, most people. Right, the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Assumptions. Yeah, we got to focus on questioning our assumptions more often. Yeah, try to get the viewpoint of our opposition. Try to look at where are they coming from? Right. You do it with your spouse, right? You do it with the relationships in your life. Like he, right. In a good relationship, you do that. Because if you dug, if your husband was saying something to you and you're like, I don't agree with that. And then why don't you put the dishes away? You never put the dishes away. Are you listening to our household conversation? You you try to step back and. (laughs) 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 Right. So, like in a healthy relationship, you would be like, maybe he had a bad day. Let me think about where he's coming from. Right. Right. And hopefully he's doing the same for you. Yeah. Just a little compassion, a little consideration. Right. Mm-hmm. It goes a long way. It really does. Well, Virginia, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Yeah. This was fun. It was a good conversation. It was. Please come follow us at faconfessions.com. That's our website. And we would appreciate if you just leave us a comment this post would be questioning our assumptions mm-hmm. and you can leave a comment at the bottom of the post. Let us know your thoughts of what you thought about the podcast. If you have any ideas for mm-hmm. future podcasts. Yeah. Like if there's something going on in your life that you would like us to talk about, drop us a comment there. Yeah. And please share and mm-hmm. maybe write us a review. Help us get our name out there to other listeners. Yeah. Well, great, Virginia. Well, I had fun. Me too. See you next week. Yep. See you next week. Yeah.